0: You're listening to Bethany Radio, More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Why don't you take your Bibles out and let's turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Again, we're back to Philippians. I know it's going to feel like we're just not going very fast. I'm just warning you, we aren't. We're just I, I'm a slow goer. Uh, take a couple portions at a time. Uh, Philippians 1.18 is where you can turn to, or the second part of 18. Um, part of that's what I'm trying to do is just take section by section. So some places will will be longer, some shorter, but trying to just not just kind of take three verses, but do three verses fit together into a whole and make part, um, and that's what we're getting at. So you can turn to Philippians 1. I've got a picture here. Is there a picture in the PowerPoint up here from last week? It might be a little bit faded, this is my first anonymous picture. so I don't know who sent this in. I'm hoping it's an adult that drew this. Thank you. Uh, this is, you got the, we, we were t- in verse uh, 9. Your love, that your love may abound more and more with, on the left side is knowledge and the right side discernment. That was maybe a couple of weeks ago, but discussing that. And then there's one more picture here, I think. And then this was the other side. I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. I don't know if these are lyrics, but but I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus, that you caught that. It's not about me and a legacy and my, here's what so-and-so has done for the Lord. There would just be the Lord, Christ exalted. We're going to be looking at that again. This is Paul's heart in what we're going to see here uh, today in Philippians 1. So I'm going to start some of you, if you're in ESV, you'll have this break in verse 18 where you have kind of an inserted title there, To Live is Christ, but that's where I'm starting, where it says yes and I will rejoice. So I'm going to start there, so kind of midway through 18, and then I'm just going to read through 21 for today. Let's hear from God's Word first. It says, Yes, and I will rejoice. Let me pray once again for us. Father, I just ask again for this time that you would bless us by the work of your Spirit today in our hearts as we chew on and think about the words before us in your Holy Scripture. That what we see before us is truth, objective truth that we can look at and learn from and live and base our lives on. And I pray that my mere words helping us understand context and where we're at and words and thoughts, Lord, that it would be, as Mill we'll prayed, an instrument, Lord, I've nothing but but your word. It's your word. And so please do the work here we ask. And may what I communicate be clear and, and honoring to the great name of Jesus. You are, Lord Jesus, who we worship today. Idols are just made with hands. You are eternal, and your name is eternal. And you beckon the winds, and you control the lightning and the rain. And so we praise your name, and we want to listen to you. So open our ears to what you have to say today, in Jesus' name, Amen. I wonder if you ever used the phrase. Do you ever use that phrase now? Now this is living. Talk to some in Sunday school, if they use that phrase, maybe, maybe you don't. Uh, you might say the flip of that. We were talking about that, you know, living the dream. That's kind of the, the sarcastic way to say, I'm not really living. But this question or this, this statement, now this is living, if you ever say that, for me, it would be on my porch, and we're getting close to that season, on my porch with the grill and the, the something's on the grill. It doesn't really matter what's on the grill, it's just there's a grill and I have a, a cup of iced Pepsi, iced Pepsi, with the ice cubes in it. And I'm sitting there, and it's somewhat warm. We're not cold anymore. And you might hear me say, this is living. This is living. Or fill in the blank. I don't know where what your spot is. Perhaps it's uh, uh, somewhere else, maybe vacation. You get on vacation, you get to that hotel or wherever, you're by the beach, and you go, this is living. Have you said that before? My brother will say, if, if we have something to eat that's really good, he will tell me, he will say, Michael. He calls me Michael. Michael, get ready to live. That's his phrase. whenever it, And you know, okay, guy who I call my brother, three years older than me, something good, we're going to eat something good because it's get ready to live because this is going to taste really good. And we use that phrasing, this is living. And I don't know, I, I mean, we use that phrase, but it kind of connotes just this, this kind of this we're at things are at peace we're at rest this is just this is the good life you might say and so we'd use that phrase this is living i think paul the apostle paul would use that phrase as well but his living paul's living had nothing to do with grilling or pepsi or a vacation he had such a radical view of Jesus Christ that everything Paul was about, in essence, what Paul dreamed of, what he lived for, what he had joy in, it had, it had nothing really to do with Paul. He had expectations. He had hopes. He rejoices. He looks forward to deliverance. But all of those things, his deliverance, his joy, his hope, his expectations are centered on what we're going to see and what we've already read, on the magnification of Jesus Christ as Lord. That was living to Paul. Over the next couple of weeks, as we begin, and we've just begun into this section here, we're going to be looking through it, and I, and I see it as forming, I think you could say, the basis for everything else in the book. It's the title I've chosen. I like to choose some sort of title as we go through a series to not miss the, the whole the whole theme, and I think uh, many would say, we'll talk about this, joy, the theme of joy in Philippians, um, chosen here, just this verse, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. I think it's kind of a capstone, a, a, a summary of where we're at and, what, and where Paul was at, and that seems to be Paul's just laser focus in his life. It's, it's not Paul, but it's, it's the honor of Christ. And it also forms, I think, for us in this particular section, forms a hinge point for us as we look at this passage of Scripture. That is, what we're reading, the this, this second part of verse 18, we'll call it 18b, second part of 18 up to verse 21 is kind of this first part of the hinge. And if you think of verse 21 as the hinge, we're kind of leading up to it today, looking at Paul's kind of his, his own life, his own heart, how he looks at things. And then we're going to come over next week, and then the weeks beyond, and also look at what flows out of that. What are the implications? Paul's living for Christ, and he's going to talk about, it. if I die, then I'm with Christ, and that's better, but I'll stay. And why is he staying? Kind of this outflow towards others. So right now, we're in that inflow of looking at Paul's life. What's, what's kind of his heartbeat? And I think we could guess from, from what we've already studied. That's context. But look at it even more deeper today. So let's start. I'm going to start a little bit backwards, hopefully not. I'm going to start at the hinge point, verse 21, and then we're going to just work back uh, towards from where we started, back up to it. So verse 21, to begin with, just these, this short verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you were going to read this sentence just strictly literally, and I might not even be just totally literally with the Greek, but it would say something like this. To me for living Christ and dying again. Like, to me for living Christ and dying again. Our translations, thankfully, smooth it out for us. But I want you to see there's a closeness of connection in verse 21 of Paul of his living, his life, and then Christ. Christ. So, one commentator, A.T. Robertson, he says this uh, on this verse living here is coextensive with Christ. Coextensive. And I love an iPad. You can press that word and go, okay, define coextensive. What does that mean? It means it's extending over the same space and time. So, living for Paul is coextensive, space and time, same space and time as Christ, with Christ. What's, what's that mean? It means for Paul, you could almost make a math equation, Paul for, for Paul, living equals Christ. Living equals Christ. That's how he saw living. And of course, he saw dying as even better, as gain. So here, I think this is, this is Paul with his, now this is living, type phrase. But guess where Paul is when he is saying, for to me to live is Christ. He's saying, now this is living. You remember where he's at? He's in a prison. He's in chains. I'm living at the grill. He's living in prison. It had nothing to do, again, with food. His vacation is relaxing. Again, squarely centered on Christ. So life or death, living is Christ. So that's kind of the hinge. That's the main And now we're just going to go back, now just go backwards, back to 18. We're going to look at what leads up to this statement. Look at just, just a couple of the verses here. The latter part of 18 and then into 19. So let me read that again. He's saying, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Like I said, others have referred to this book. You can see in this book, these first uh, five words here, or last five words of verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. This idea of joy that shows up in Philippians. We already saw it in, in the first part of 18. that Paul said the last time we were here, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And then he says again, yes, and I will rejoice. And what's going on here is he's, he's rejoicing. seems like he's rejoicing of what's going on in prison. There's an advance of the gospel, 12 through 14, Christ is being proclaimed, 15 through 18. No matter what, poor motives, I'm just glad he's being made known. I'm rejoicing. And then it just kind of heightens. It just kind of grows, kind of this yes and, and I will rejoice. And there's a heightening, a step up even more. Christ is proclaimed and then all the more towards Christ and his honor. He's rejoicing. But we kind of got to read it through to go, what's he rejoicing in? I think we could say it's the honor of Christ. But then look into verse 19. And from verse 19, I just want to try to answer two, two questions that we could ask here in verse 19. One, Paul says here, he knows that, that through prayers, help of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. What does Paul mean by this will turn out for my deliverance? What's he saying there? That's one question. And then the other question are, what are the means of Paul's deliverance? The verse answers that, but what are the means? How is Paul delivered? So first, what kind of deliverance is he talking about? And that's what we understand. If you've got um, ESV, you're going to have the word this in verse 19. Uh, Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What's the this? This what and I think we can say that this is what has happened to Paul it's the same type of word used back in verse 12 where it says I want you where Paul says I want you to know brothers that that what has happened that what has happened same uh, in the Greek similar place for wording and it helps us kind of pin it go okay I think this is what (laughs) Paul's referring to what's happened what's happened to Paul the NIV, in fact, does translate verse 19 if you have that, if you're using that. It does say that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So I think this encompasses what, Paul's, what he's saying here encompasses what he's already said up to this point. He sees the imprisonment and the advance of the gospel and the proclaiming of Christ so that this then will turn out for my deliverance. But then we ask, well, what kind of deliverance, Paul? What do you mean? What does it say? And I know we're not, we're not given, so we've got to read thoughtfully through here and think, what kind of deliverance does he mean? Is he, is he describing his physical deliverance? like, this is, we say, I'm, I'm going free. This is his get out of physical jail, physical prison. This is going to turn out for my deliverance. Perhaps. It just doesn't fit the context here of Paul, I think, seeing his imprisonment as an advance of the gospel. I don't think he's centered on me getting free out of prison. Perhaps it's there. Uh, Or maybe another way of thinking of what's going to turn out for Paul's deliverance. Maybe he's saying this is going to turn out for my all this, what's going on through prayers and spirit. I'm going to rejoice. This is going to turn out for my eternal salvation. Maybe that's what Paul's referring to in deliverance. It's the same, same word we use for salvation, deliverance or rescue, that idea. But again, I don't think it fits Paul's, not really speaking of his eternal salvation here. He's speaking, again, as we've said, focused on Christ as the subject, not his salvation. This is where we need verse 20. We need some context to help us. If we just had that, we'd kind of be wondering. But verse 20 helps us, and we're going to just kind of kind of put our toe into verse 20 and then step back, because we need it to help us understand deliverance. I think it draws out what Paul's deliverance will look like, and here's what it it looks like. It says, Paul, um," well, let me just read it, okay, so we're not. It says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's deliverance for Paul. He's not going to be ashamed, but he's going to have full courage leading towards what? Towards Christ being honored in his body. So get this. If if Christ is honored, and I know this is... Just think about it here. If Christ is honored in Paul's life, then to Paul he concludes he's been delivered. Paul's deliverance equals Christ's honor. Christ's honor defines his deliverance. and I don't think here Paul's uh, deliverance here, I'm, I'm not thinking it's meaning from his chains or even, even salvation in the long run, but, but that his body is delivered up, life or, life or death, with full courage, Christ will be honored in my body. That's my deliverance. Whether I'm ever out of this prison or anything, again, Christ's exaltation, that's Paul's view. That's not how we often look at deliverance. I think if we filled in the blank, deliver me, we would say get me out of this situation, this hardship, this grief, or pain. Paul here, he's saying, I mean, I think in his flesh he would say, yes, I would prefer to not be in the chains. But his deliverance is Christ. Christ honored in his body. As his deliverance. So, let's again kind of t- look at that. But back in verse nineteen, the other question: So, what kind of deliverance Then gets Christ's honor? How does it come about then that Paul is gonna is gonna have this deliverance that Christ will be honored? How is he gonna persevere towards Christ being honored in his life and death? And guess what? It's two things here in verse nineteen. It's through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. These form the how Paul is delivered. Delivered up that Christ might be honored. So first, prayer. The, these are the means of Paul's deliverance. Prayer. This Philippian church, your prayers or your prayer, they're partners in the gospel. They're praying and praying for Paul. That's going to lead to his deliverance, his honoring Christ in his life. So I think we can conclude, we can say here, Paul's deliverance And his ability to live for Christ and to die for Christ was not a solo operation of Paul. He was not on his own. This is not, I'm going to do this. There was some means to his deliverance, and one of them is prayer. He depended on, he needed their praying for him. I think just by way of application, we too in the church, we are no different. We don't go out here and just solo, you know, like, like there's such a thing as luck. Wish me luck. Hope it's a good week. We need to be praying. If I can encourage you, if you don't have a church directory, grab one and pray through the people in the church. And pray too that they will honor Christ in their lives to pray for one another. Temptations abound. We need the work of the Lord through His saints praying for one another. Well, the other means of Paul, so that's one means of his deliverance, that Christ would be honored, whether it's life or death, the honor of Christ through their prayer, and then the other means is is the means of the Holy Spirit. Spoken of here, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the third person of the triune God, a God who is one in essence and eternally existing in three persons. And so here we see the Spirit called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Why is it the Spirit of Jesus Christ? And perhaps we miss this sometimes when we just say Holy Spirit, but here helps us understand and remember that ministry of the Spirit. It's a ministry, really, of Jesus. Jesus speaks of the Spirit. You can write the references down, but here's a couple things He says from John. The book of John in John 15, He says, but when the Helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness not for just the Spirit's sake, but for the sake about Jesus. Spirit of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit He points back. He bears witness. And then Jesus in John 16 tells us the Spirit's mission. John 16 what about the Spirit? He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's the mission of the Spirit, to glorify Jesus. Take what is mine, declare it to you. J.I. Packer says this. He's written a book on the Holy Spirit. He says, says this of the Spirit's distinctive ministry. He says, The truth of the matter is this. The distinctive, constant, basic ministry of the Holy Spirit under the New Covenant Is so to mediate Christ's presence to believers. That is, to give them such knowledge of his presence with them as their Savior, Lord, and God. So the Spirit is at work in Paul's life, therefore directing his steps to glory in and to honor Jesus Christ. These are the means through prayer, through the Spirit. Paul is not on his own. And Praise the Lord, if we're thinking through and we're already trying to apply this in our lives, and how do I live for Christ? Say, we cannot do this. This is not a self-made mission here. For, for me to give a, give a pet talk and just go do this. We need God's. We must have God's help. And we must have it. Prayers, Spirit towards this okay well moving on to verse 20 then let me just read it one more time i've already read it it's okay repetition is great verse 20 again so he says this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that i will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death Paul's expectation here is that he will not be ashamed. And what is shame? What is it to be ashamed? Webster's Dictionary, my favorite from 1828, says shame is. <clears throat> it says, A painful sensation excited by a consciousness of guilt. Or of having done something which injures reputation—that's shame. Done, you've done something that injures your reputation. Goes on to say, shame is particularly excited by the disclosure of actions which, in the view of men, are mean and degrading. Hence, it is often or always manifested by a downcast look or by blushes. In shame, right shame. Webster calls this the confusion of face. We don't say it in that type of language today, but this confusion of face, downcast, blushing, shame. But for Paul, shame, this blushing, or caring about one's reputation, had no place in the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking of Romans 1.16, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jesus says this, as we, we were looking in Mark a couple of years ago, Mark 8, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Paul, in verse 20, he puts shame, or being ashamed, up against full courage. Do you see the connection? He hopes, it's my expectation, it's my hope, I'm not going to be ashamed. But, but what? With full courage. Acknowledging, again, by their praying for him, by the work of the Spirit, Paul's not going to be embarrassed of Christ. He's going to have full courage that Christ will be honored in his life. Not ashamed. Listen to how Paul describes his ministry, 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read verses 3-10 through 10 here. But listen to this. This is Paul describing his ministry. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, this is all His ministry here, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul's life, his living, it was not about his honor or his escaping dishonor. It was all his joyful living was centered on making much of Jesus. And that's what he says in verse 20 that Christ will be honored in my body whether I'm alive or in my death. Charles Spurgeon comments here on Paul and says it seems to be a matter of no choice with him whether he serves God in life or glorifies him in death. It's, not a, it's just God be glorified in my life. I want to put up an image that we've got that Charles Spurgeon brings out. And I don't this is an older logo. I think it's still in use, though I think the Mission Society has gone leftward from where it was. Uh, but this was an emblem that Spurgeon talks about, and I wanted to show it to you. It's the emblem of the American Baptist Missionary Union, is an ox, if you can see that from there, standing between a plow and an altar with the motto ready for either. Ready to spend and be spent in labor or to be a sacrifice, whichever the Lord pleases. The ox is not interested in the ox's honor or shame or whatever. It's just sacrifice for you, Lord, in death. So be it. Ready by God's grace, by the prayers, by the Spirit. To be a plow, to go work, to serve you, Lord, to live for you, ready, ready in Christ, and and that's what Spurgeon is bringing out. He's saying Paul here. So should Paul live or die? It's Christ's honor. It's the magnification. You know, the magnification, making something big. His honor, Christ's honor, Christ's glory. That's what matters. And so out of verse 20 brings us back to our central verse again of verse 21, our hinge verse here, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live, to to say this, for to me to live is Christ, assumes something, or implies something, and it implies that in fact you are in Christ. Christ. You know Him as Savior. I don't make that assumption of everyone that's gathered here this morning. We, we worship. We're a gathering of believers. If you are an unbeliever in Christ and have come in with us this morning, can you say with Paul, here's what he says in Galatians, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This life in Christ, this living for Christ, it is not something we earn or we work for, though we do toil, as we looked last week, Colossians, with his energy. It's his energy, it's his work. And it's given by God's grace through his Spirit that we are in Christ. So I would just call out to you today, if the Spirit of Christ is today or has been today, working on your heart you see your sin and your need for forgiveness in Christ and i would just encourage you call out by faith lord jesus save me i am a sinner and i need you be my lord deliver me from death call out to him give me new life in your name live in christ for those in Christ again this verse 21 to live is Christ. I want to just point out something here as we just kind of draw towards a close. We are saved by God's grace. This is true from our sins in which we escape the snares of the devil, we escape the fires of hell, the wrath of God. There is there's a sense of what we are saved from. This Phrasing, I think it's not original with me, but we're saved from something, we're also saved to something. We don't just celebrate the gospel of what we're saved from, though that is huge of what Christ has done, but we're saved to, to a relationship with Christ, to, in fact, live with Christ. Jesus says this of eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So life in Christ is, is towards something, it's towards the honor and glory of knowing Christ. It's to know Christ, the surpassing worth of who he is. And we find that in, in the scriptures as we read about him. So I want to just lastly think through here in, in a trying to in a practical way, what does this look like for Paul? If Paul says now this is living and he fills in the blank, this is living. Christ, what does that look like? Because it's, it's a phrase and we can use it, and I've, I've spoken it a lot up here today, but what does that look like then in his life? Here's five things and probably others, but these are just kind of five. What does this look like? If, if we say living equals Christ, how does that affect Paul? One, living equals Christ, it affects Paul's outlook on his life experiences. That we know from what we've already studied. It affects Paul's outlook. His prison time, his suffering, he does not see it as just personal hardship, but he sees it as a Christ-glorifying opportunity. So living equals Christ affects how he sees the world, really. Mm -hmm. Number two, if living equals Christ it replaces Paul's own life goals. It replaces his life goals. What's Paul's highest goal? What would you say? It's Christ's honor in his life. Be it, Paul's saying, be it my death, be it my life, this is what I'm living for, the honor of Christ. Changes his goals. Is it a good plan for retirement? Yes. Yes, good. But what? But a goal beyond? What's his goal? It's the honor of Christ. Okay. So there's retirement. There's, we could look at. I want to be famous. Oh, somebody recognize me. I want to have a career. Be successful. Those sorts of things. Living for Christ replaces Paul's life goals. The end goal. Number three: living equals Christ is joy to Paul. It's joyful. This is not. I gotta, live for Christ again today this is I rejoice I'm delivered I'm expecting I'm hopeful and why not because Christ is eternal everything I've listed all those other things fade and the things that we go this is living the grill will run out of gas and the ice in that cold drink of Pepsi will melt and it's only for that amount of time Christ will last it's Paul's joy Number four, living equals Christ. It affects who Paul serves. We, we, verse one of this, whole, of this whole book, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It changes who he serves. Yes, there's earthly masters, our, a boss, a teacher, uh, someone that's over us, or we're over other, whatever, but it changes Paul's serve now. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. That's who he ultimately serves, not himself. And then number five, I think we got to tie in here that living equals Christ. It unites Paul, unites Paul to the other brothers and sisters in Christ as partners. They're they're partners in the gospel, partakers of grace. Um, verse five, Philippians one, because of your partnership in the gospel. So living, Christ like living unites Paul to the other brothers. They're praying, and and he yearns for them. Uh, the end of verse eight, he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. So as Paul grows in Christ, he grows in Christ's likeness and he yearns for the people like Christ would yearn for them. There's probably others there. That's some I think of what it looked like for Paul to live this out. And then next week we'll look at kind of his wrestling. What do I do? I I, I care for you, but I want to be with Christ. And that whole wrestle, we'll look at that next week if you want to read further. So I'll just end with a question to you. For, for your own heart, I'm, I'm not asking what you think your neighbor ought to be living for. Like I'm glad they're here. I'm Your heart, my heart. What is living to you? You fill in the blank, now this is living. Do you want Christ in that blank? This is living and the, take the grill. This is living. We're given, I think, three helpful things. Pray, let's be praying for one another. Let's trust the Spirit of Jesus Christ who, who was sent to help us to remember. The apostles wrote, helped write the Bible. That help is part of the Bible that we're reading. We trust the Spirit to guide our hearts towards Christ, the work that He does. And then walk in full courage to honor Christ in life or death. Lord, I want to walk with courage to honor you. Let's pray. Father, we are, it's it's appropriate, and I know it can be just something we do. It's how a sermon ends in prayer. Father, I, I pray for each one hearing these words and my own heart hearing these words. Oh Lord, keep us from worship and living and calling living such such trivial things. Lord, we taste and see You are good. We can taste food and it fades. We can have experiences and they fade. Oh, Lord Jesus, You will never fade. You're forever and eternal. And I pray our lives, that each one here in this room we could fill in that blank and say, what's living this week? It's Christ. Not a horrible week, but not in Christ. In Christ, I've got everything I need. It's my shepherd. Thank you, Lord, for your gracious shepherding of sheep like us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.